Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, we have a great show lined up for today. As usual, we have some very interesting and timely things to talk about, you know. And one thing that we haven't gone through before is we really haven't gone through all the steps, the baby steps, Dave Ramsey's baby steps. And I think that is going to be a great thing that we're going to cover today because, you know, it's amazing, really, when you look at his seven baby steps, it takes a lifetime of of complicated financial decisions and boils it down into seven easy steps. Yeah, that's his brilliance. It really I mean, is. It really is. I mean, he's like, um, I heard the Apple, the reason why it's so brilliant is it's simple. Exactly. People can understand. And that's one reason why he's so successful. It's very easy. Seven steps. I mean, Seven steps. So we're going to walk right through those today and, you know, kind of dig into what does it take to get started on each of those steps. And so then we're going to follow that up with uh, a little, little conversation about um, looking back at history a little bit, Steve. You know, yeah. um, markets have been a little sideways this year, a little volatile. And, um, you know, you hear the, the press and the media talking about, you know, the next crash or the recession coming on. And there's really no way to predict it. And we're going to go back and look at history a little bit and and uh, kind of look at some examples of how people missed it. And um, there's really no way to predict the next financial crisis or the economy or whatever. And um, the better strategy is be diversified and have a plan like we always talk about on the show. Um, but we're going to look back at history a little bit. The big mm-hmm. short. Yeah. And give a little perspective on today's markets. Yeah, that's right. I like that. Very good. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 23 years of providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance, and I've been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show, our podcast up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, go check us out on our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. We have a whole bunch of other videos. We have calculators and tools and all kind of good stuff out there. We get some good feedback from folks that are going out there checking it out. We also have a Facebook page. We put a weekly... Um, uh, video out there. I think it's your yep. turn this week. No, yeah, right. Yeah, we'll be. I'll be on there. That's right. That's right. Bet. So go check us out on Facebook. We have a, a pretty good uh, following there as well. Yeah. Also, send us your questions by email. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net or you can link to us off of our website. We're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this uh, fact comes from McKinsey and Company. This is uh, that's a consulting company, very large consulting company, and they say in just 12 years, by the uh, year 2030, about a fourth of the on-the-job hours that American workers are, are currently uh, you know, working could be automated, and there could be artificial intelligence and robotics wow. taking their jobs. Wow. We've heard those stats before. We have. You know, and it, it always seems to come a little slower than what these people it, predict. It does. It does. It's, but that would be exciting. It's definitely happening. I think what it, you know, the takeaway I have from this is, you know, if you're out there listening or you have kids or grandkids, you know, getting skills, um, you know, yeah, some of these jobs will be replaced, but there has to be someone to program them, right. fix them, build them and so forth. So there'll be other jobs that are created. They're just more high tech. Yeah, that's right. You got to get re- retooled if you're in one of those positions that may disappear. Um, but 
you know, there, there's always going to be jobs out there, I think. I'm excited about the idea, quite frankly. I think productivity will skyrocket, mm-hmm. you know, if we have a lot of jobs automated and and there will be a lot of new jobs, you know, for, you know, flying these. I mean, for, yeah. for, for running these yeah, things. Yeah, just right? different kind of jobs. Just, right, maintaining them and running them. And, and it's going to open the door for more service-type jobs. And, you know, there's going to be more productivity as a result of this. And uh, so it's exciting, but it's also, yeah, I mean, it makes you think, you know, if you're in one of those jobs, you better, you better be thinking long-term. Yeah. And you really, I mean, the other takeaway as I look at that is technology is changing so quickly. Being invested in one stock today is so, so dangerous. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't know who the winners and losers will be. Facebook came out, I think it was last week and said they were going to start doing a, a dating um, uh, they were going to incorporate dating into the Facebook, you know, process and oh. the match.com dropped like 20% in one day. Oh that my goodness. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you just don't know. I mean, technology wow. is incredible. It's like when Amazon bought Whole Foods, yes. all of a sudden all these grocery stores are like, oh no. Ruh-roh. <laughs> row Yeah. Another big player. That's right. Very interesting. All right. That leads up here to our first topic and that is the Dave Ramsey baby steps revisited. We're going to Look at these in a little more detail. John, I know we've talked about the baby steps before many times on and off over the years, but I think it's worth going through the seven steps in a little more detail because they are so very powerful. You know, and one of the brilliant things that I just mentioned about these seven baby steps is their simplicity. I mean, it boils down a whole life of financial choices into seven simple steps that anyone really can understand what they mean. It's just not very complicated, and so he does an amazing job of that. And, of course, the implementation is always the hard part. So we're going to focus a little more on how to get started to implement each of these steps because I believe getting started is about 60% of the effort in most of these type tasks. Um, but once you can get through these first three steps, you know, you are well on your way to financial freedom so let's jump right in here. Um, the first step is to save $1,000 for an emergency fund. And yeah, this is the very first step. You know, it, it really is a baby emergency fund, if you will. The goal is to save $1,000 as fast as you can. An emergency fund is for those unexpected events in life that you can't plan for. So, you know, I would say for a young person fresh out of college, this is step number one. Mm-hmm. Get 1000 bucks Go. very quickly saved up. You know, because without an emergency fund, people tend to go into debt to cover every, you know, surprise that comes up. And, and they're not really surprises. They're just routine expenses that aren't aren't well planned for. Um, you know, it could be car trouble, getting tires in your car, whatever it is. Um, but you're not going to go into debt anymore. So you have to get started with this baby emergency fund. Yeah. And that emergency fund, Steve, should be kept in a uh, separate um, checking account. Keep it separate than what your normal funds, ins and outs are going into. Um, that way you won't dig a deeper hole when you're trying to work your way out of debt. Um, but saving that $1,000 fast may not be easy either if you don't create a budget. So go back over the last you know three months of expenses. Look in your checking accounts, your card statements, and break those down into like 10 or 12 different categories um, and get an average for each month so you can kind of, you know, get an idea of what you're really spending in those areas. We see people saying, you know, I spend $500 on groceries. They really have no idea until you track it. That's right. You know, if you have four kids in the house, it's probably closer to eight or $900. Exactly. Depending on how old they are and where you're shopping as well. That's important. And also consider non-monthly expenses like insurance payments, property taxes, 
and break those down into a monthly payment and add those to your budget as well. So, you know, you can go to DaveRamsey.com. He's got a lot of great information out there. Every dollar is his new app, um, and it's a great place to start uh, creating a budget. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's the first step to anything. I mean, that that is the foundation mm-hmm. to these st- these steps is creating a budget. So you got to have a good foundation, and uh, without it, your house will fall. So. You need that. Step number two here is to pay off debt using the debt snowball method. Um, You know, now that you're prepared to avoid debt, if you have your emergency fund set up, your baby emergency fund, it's time to get rid of the current debts. So you start by listing everything you owe except your mortgage. And this is called the debt snowball. You'll use it to knock out your debts one by one. You'll order your debts by balance, smallest to largest. Don't worry about interest rates unless you have two that are they're similar payoffs. Then you can list the higher interest rate one first. But as Dave says, you know, if it was about math, you wouldn't be in debt in the first place. So mm-hmm. it's not about the math. It's about building some momentum. You know, it's about getting started and, and knocking some out and seeing some wins on the table here. So you start with the smallest one first. You attack that lowest balance on your list by paying as much as you can each month while making the minimum payments on your other debts. And when you've paid off the first one, you add what you were paying on that one to your next debt, and you start attacking it with with extra money, right? So your results, they kind of begin to snowball as you're paying off your debts faster and faster, and the payments keep adding up because you're adding more and more money to the uh, to the next biggest debt. Um, this will keep you motivated to dump all of your debts long before you ever thought it was possible. Before you know it, you're debt free. Millions of people have used debts. Uh, Dave's uh, Financial Peace University course to to beat debt for good. So if you haven't been to an FPU class, that would be a great place to start this debt snowball. It is key to getting rid of your debts. Yeah, baby step number two is, um, and that may take you a while. I think the average time Dave talks about is 18 to 24 months. So it's yeah. not, not, not quick for some folks, but if you can get through it and move on to the next step, which is baby step three, save three to six months of, of expenses for emer- emergencies. Now, once you have all your debts paid off, except for your mortgage, you're ready to build a real emergency fund to eliminate the possibility of all debts forever. Um, This step is about building a full emergency fund with three to six months of expenses so your finances can handle any kind of curveball that comes your way without having to use debt. And after the momentum and intensity of the debt snowball in step two, it's easy for your your energy to to fizzle out before you uh, complete your emergency fund. So don't let that happen in the same way that you had your $1,000 starter emergency fund, um, you know, kept you from going into debt, if you can get um, a bigger emergency fund upwards of, you know, nine to, to $18,000 if you have a, a $3,000 a month income, right? right? So that's three to six months. Um, certainly, I think if you can get to the upper level uh, of that, it's going to be a better number. But keep it in a separate checking account. And remember, the easiest way to build an emergency fund is by having that budget. You got to have that budget telling your money where to go. Absolutely. So now you have a full emergency fund if you're through step three. That's the key. That's really the foundation that's going to protect you from, you know, getting into debt ever again. And uh, now you're ready to move on to step four, which is investing 15% of your household income into Roth IRAs or other pre, pre-tax pre retirement funds. Um, now you're really ready to board the rocket ship to financial freedom 
I believe. I mean, when you get to that step for where you can start saving 15%, that is huge, and you're going to be well on your way. Yeah, so the money you were using to attack debt can now help build your future. So in this step, it's time to get serious about retirement. No matter what your age is, the goal is to invest 15% of your household income into pre-tax retirement accounts um, or into Roth IRAs. Start by, by investing enough in your company's 401k plan to get the full employer match if you're fortunate enough to have a match in a 401k plan. That's free money, though. So you got to get that first. You get your match. Then the rest of it you can put into Roth IRAs, one for you, one for your spouse if you're married. That's $5,500 per person you can per year for each of you that you can put in a Roth IRA. That's a lot, and that covers it for most people. That's $11,000 if you're married. So that's a great place to start. I mean, if you have more capacity above that, then great. Then you can go back to the 401k and put extra in the 401k, but... Get that full contribution going into the Roth IRAs. If your company doesn't offer a retirement plan or a match contribution, then just go straight to the Roth IRAs, fully fund those, and then diversify that money across a lot of different asset classes. Um, the easiest way to do that, I think, is just to start out um, with maybe a good target date retirement fund, you know, like a low-cost target 2050, 2060 fund, mm-hmm. something like that, John. Um, I think it's a great place to start. You know, if you if you have more than that and you're 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 wanting to get more sophisticated, you know, talk to somebody like us and we can help you get more sophisticated than that. But the key is you want to be really well diversified worldwide. Um, So, you know, but you want to get a healthy weighting towards small and value stocks. Most of those funds have some weighting toward that. Um, but even a couple hundred dollars a month invested now can make a huge difference in your retirement picture over time. Yeah, so baby step four, 15% in, uh, towards retirement. Once you check that, you can go to the next one, which is baby step five, or um, saving for your, your children's college fund. And by this step, you've paid off all your debts except your house. Uh, you started the retirement savings, got your emergency fund in, in order, so now you can start focusing on the children's college expenses um, you know, saving now is going to put you ahead of the game when your teens are, are in high school. And there's a couple of different accounts that you can use. A 529 college savings plan is, is a good one. Um, Dave's a big believer in ESAs, education savings accounts. There's some limits on that one. So for some folks, that's not going to be an option. Those both are tax advantage saving options when it looks at um, saving and paying for college. So similar to a Roth IRA for retirement, you can invest in mutual funds through these accounts as well. The 529 plan in South Carolina has some pretty good tax benefits as well, um, which is not the case all over the nation. Right? Right. Georgia is not right. as uh, beneficial as South Carolina's from a tax standpoint. Having said that, it depends on your individual situation, but these are great plans for college, and that age-based investing option um, makes choosing you know, the automatic investments an easy way to do that. It's kind of like one of the target date funds right. that we mentioned before. So Baby Step 5... Uh, you know, your children's college fund is the next step. Yeah, that's right. Before you do the, either of those options, you know, kind of do your homework, find out what your state's 529 plan looks like and what your options are and whether you get any tax benefits um, to figure out whether a 529 or an ESA is is better. But, uh, you know, the key is to get started. So if you have kids, you need to jump on that. That's step number five. 
Number six here is to pay off your home early. Pay off your entire mortgage. Oh, that would be weird. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be crazy? Yeah. That's just so counter counterintuitive mm-hmm. in today's society, isn't it? Well, you know, this is a big one, and this is a, a huge step. You know, there's only one more debt standing in your way to total financial freedom is your mortgage. Um, so can you imagine what your life is going to be like with no house payment? I mean, that's a beautiful place to be at, John. And, you know, we, we see that all the time with folks that finally get their house paid off. And it is very liberating mm-hmm. and, you know, a real sense of security when you own your house. Um, so think about this part of your journey, you know, as kind of a marathon. Uh, once you get this paid off, you're going to have a ton more cash to invest towards your other goals. The first step, though, is determine how much extra you can apply to your mortgage every month. Scrub your budget for the extra cash flow that can go toward retiring your mortgage. Calculate how long it's going to take you to retire the mortgage using uh, that rate of extra money that you're adding to your mortgage. And one of the many mortgage calculators you can get out there on the Internet And then get excited about how easily you can peel off the years by adding a few hundred extra dollars a month to your mortgage. Any extra you can put to your mortgage is going to save you tens of thousands of dollars monthly or even yearly, uh, you know, in interest over the life of your loan. So if you currently have an adjustable rate mortgage or an interest only mortgage or even a 30 year mortgage, consider refinancing that to a 15 year fixed rate mortgage. But that's a huge step getting your mortgage paid off. Yeah. And the last one here, Steve, is once you've done all that, you can build wealth and give a tremendous amount away. And I know, you know, I think, um, you know, Dave probably gets a bad rap sometimes about, you know, money and building wealth, but he ultimately wants you to give it away. Right. Which is, which is great. Um, be generous. Absolutely. You you know what you can do with no debt and no payments, uh, anything that you want, you can help a lot of people. So baby step seven is the last step. And by far the most fun. Now you can truly live and give like no one else because um, you've built wealth and you you know you can be insanely generous. You can help people, um, you know, down the road or today. You can leave an inheritance for future generations, and all of that. That's all a result of you having discipline uh, over over time, and so you can leave a legacy. Uh, for your kids, maybe your church, maybe some other nonprofits out there as well. But maybe step seven, build wealth and give. That's right. And, you know, you want to preserve these good habits that you've created that got you here. So, you know, setting goals, budgeting every single month is is critical. Max out your 401ks and your Roth IRA so you can continue to live like no one else, even in retirement. So that's those are Dave's seven baby steps. And, um, they are they are brilliant. Always they good really to are. talk about them. It is. It is. And that leads us up here, though, to our question of the week. Yeah, I had a um, question from a client actually uh, today about the markets, and they were just kind of asking, hey, you know, 2018 hasn't been quite as good as 2016 and 17. And they're like, why aren't the markets increasing? They see the earnings mm. are, are doing well. And, yep. and they are. The earnings are are very good, but there's other concerns, uh, inflation, interest rate rises. Um, you know, you've got the North Korea's kind of died down a little bit, but there's just a lot of consternation right now. Um, the markets look out six to nine months. And the question is, is, uh, you know, will the earnings continue to grow and be as robust as they are today? And the answer is, we don't know, right? That's right. No we one knows. Know. No. Um, but you know, 2016, 2017, the markets, those two years were up over 30%. Which is higher than normal. So coming out in 2018, a little, 
you know, less uh, robust is not unusual. Not um, at all. Doesn't really no. surprise anyone, but it, you know, it's it takes patience. I mean, in in order to win at the stock market, you know, put money in monthly when the markets are flat or down, that's not a bad thing. That's part of the process. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, nobody knows. I mean, the market goes through these cycles, you know, up and down. And uh, like you said, we had a couple of good years leading up to this. So to take four months off and have a flat market is not unusual at all. Um, but we are in a, a very good uh, economy. And so, you know, that has me optimistic, I guess, about the future. Having said that, nobody knows. You just have to kind of you have to kind of ride it and, and you know, stick with it, recognizing that we go through these cycles and. Yeah, but if the economy stays healthy, I have every reason to believe that the markets will eventually will will pick back up. But uh, you know that's just part of part of what we're doing here. You yeah, know, investing you you have to be patient and not worry about it. So great question of the week, and that leads us up here to our final topic, and that is uh, financial crises. Um, you know, everyone's different, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is from John. Uh, Reconthaler, um, couple actually a couple years ago, Steve. So we're going to look back at history a little bit. You know, stock market declines uh, are always obvious in hindsight, right? Sure. Technology stocks um, in the spring of 2000, after a year of gains, um, the new era was over. Um, prudent investors exited several years later. The Big Short, uh, which was a movie, informed us that the smart money understood in uh, 2008 that the housing market was dangerously overheated. Most shareholders failed to perceive the problem. They got caught up in the excitement. But those who viewed the situation, um, you know, dispassionately realized that the game was up and they were able to to make some changes. Now, you know, if you go to 2016, we had Brexit. Remember, right. that was like a two-day right. blip in the market. Uh, at that time, there were Greece's financial crisis was in the news. Putin was being very aggressive around the borders. Uh, if you remember back in 2011, the S&P um, uh, S&P downgraded the U.S. debt back in that time. And yep. Washington's budget brinkmanship, if you remember all those events, um, those items splattered against the U.S. marketplace like a water balloon hitting an elephant. I mean, just they kept splatting and they were coming every single week. And at that time, each seemed to be globally important, causing several weeks worth of stock market losses uh, accompanied by anxious commentary. And we see that today with the tariffs and inflation in North Korea. But here's a sample uh, excerpt from 2011. I'll let you let, let you share that. Yeah, it's interesting looking at these, uh, you know, things that were said back in that time and the perspective they have and how it turned out. Um, so, yeah, so this is the way it read. You know, but the move by the S&P still could serve as the psychological haymaker for an American economy, economic recovery that can't find much traction and could do more damage to investors, increasing lack of faith in the political system that's struggling to reach consensus each and every day um, on policy matters. It could lead to the prompt debt downgrades of numerous companies and states driving up their cost of borrowing. Policymakers are also anxious about the hidden icebergs uh, the move could suddenly reveal. So, yeah, I mean, this is a great excerpt just to look back at the thinking of the time and, you know, how they were thinking that we we're just going to get stuck in a, in a, in a kind of an economic grind that's never going to get out of it 
um, back in 2011, and the economy turned out to be much different, didn't it? It really did. I mean, at that time, the passage, it seemed to make a lot of sense. The economy was sputtering, um, growing much more slowly than uh, one would have hoped coming out of a deep recession from 2008. Business and consumer confidence was low. Politicians were wrangling. The U.S. credit had been downgraded. It really didn't take much imagination to envision the, the shakes becoming a collapse, um, you know, and corporations getting spooked and cutting back on spending but you know what? The S&P 500 um, did hiccup a little bit in 2011, but then it gained 16% in 2012, 32% in 2013, and 14% yep. in 2014. So uh, you just never would have looked at the circumstances in 2011 and guessed that the markets would have done so well. Yeah, that's right. There's, there's just not a way to predict it. And the point is, is the market's turning points are never evident until they're after they have occurred. And Sure, tech stocks back in 2000, they seemed very expensive. They were discussed with fever. Um, uh, you know, the, the hysteria, there was actually one Morningstar technology analyst who received some threats because he wasn't bullish enough on the tech stocks back in 2000. It was unbelievable, you know, the, the, the mindset back then about the, us being in a new economy and how everything was different. You know, I had an owner of a company that, uh, well, he was the president of a company that I was working with at the time. And he was like, Steve, he says, you know, even I've could have seen this coming, you know, don't you know, I mean, we're in a new economy, <laughs> you know? And I was like, his name was Joe. And I was like, you know, Joe, I mean, you know, the NASDAQ's trading at 200 times earnings. I said, 200 times earnings. I said, doesn't it give you pause to think that you're paying 200 times earnings for companies, you know? And he's like, oh no, this is a new economy. And it was just months later that it all fell apart. Yeah. And as, as many, uh, as the big short showed, a lot of investors, um, or some investors did figure out that the housing bubble had popped. Um, there were some fund managers who avoided the 1987 crash too. Um, but you know, unfortunately almost none of them repeat their successes. That's right. Yeah. I mean, the heroes of 1987, they flopped during the 1990s bull market. Um, so they were no longer running money, you know, when the next bear market showed up. Then there's the hedge funds that fared so well at the start of the new millennium, and they got caught when the next bear market arrived in 2008. So the stars of the financial crisis, you know, have not shown either, you know, and most notably the, the biggest stars, uh, the stars of the big short, you know, in 2007, John Paulson was recently forced to invest some of his profits back into his ailing hedge funds. So it just goes to show you, you know, I mean, nobody wins forever when you're out there trying to predict the markets. Um, you're much better to diversify. Yeah, I think the the takeaway here, Steve, is that every financial crisis is different. I mean, because of that, we cannot apply lessons from the past, um, nor can we look um, to those who made the right call the last time. There's really nothing you can do logically to to uh, figure out when the markets are going to go down from a crisis standpoint. And there's always starts and stops, right? I mean, we see markets going through corrections pretty frequently, about once per year. And so if you make your decisions based on these events, you're likely going to lose. The odds are stacked way against you versus staying invested, you know, doing some rebalancing, putting money in, 
sticking to a plan and so forth. So, um, you know, I wanted to talk about this a little bit because the markets have been a little sideways and people are, you know, are like, why aren't they going up? You know, Get because a little nervous or impatient. That's right. Say. That's right. So just don't try to predict the markets. There is a lot of negative news out there today. Um, it could turn into a crisis. We don't know, but um, we do know that when it, the markets do go down historically, they've come up a hundred percent of the time, as long as you're diversified, they've never not come up. Now, Past performance doesn't guarantee future results, but those are the facts. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the long story here is made short is you need to be patient. Mm-hmm. You need not try to predict the market. Stay diversified. You know, don't focus on today's news. Focus on your long-term goals. So, but great, great article for giving a little perspective <laughs> on the history I like that. And that leads up to our last thing here, which is the prescription of the week. So Dave has a, a saying. He actually has it on a bumper sticker um, that I've seen people mm-hmm. drive around with, and it says, act your wage. <laughs> Not your age, but your wage. And so what that really means is only spend what you make or what you have in the bank. Um, you know, if you have consumer debt, you're not acting your wage. And so if you make you know, $60,000, um, then you should be saving and giving part of that. So you may only have 30,000 or 35 to live on. Right. And if you can, if you can, you know, give and save the other portion of it over time, you will build tremendous wealth at $60,000. Now it takes decades to do that. But as Dave Ramsey says, make sure you act your wage. And that's the key is staying out of debt. And that's what he's saying here. You know, it's easy to slip into debt if you're not acting your wage. Um, so you need to avoid it with a passion and um, I think that's a great way to end on. So yep. good word of the day. All right. Well, this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. And email us your questions at info at moneymd.net. Or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 